So talk to us about specifically practice organization and, you know, how should we be evolving practices and what should we be doing in practice to help our players be more successful? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And, and, I, and I hate this answer, but you're going to hate it too, but it really depends. Uh, it really depends on the group you have. It depends on your individual players. Uh, you can't prescribe one type of environment for everybody, for every team. Um, I think the best practice is, is one that fits the needs of the individual player in the group. Um, so it depends on what you're, you know, it depends how you define, define success and, and what your end goal is, right? So are you looking to increase practice performance or are you looking for skill transfer into the game? And I think all of us as coaches, we want, man, we want this to transfer into the game. And that's where, you can go one of two ways. You have a traditional approach where you got this rote learning, rep after rep, the perfect practice, you know, the air-free learning thoughts or, you know, the real highly cognitive or mechanical approach, which has been traditional because if you're practicing good, it makes everyone feel good. And that must mean we're getting better. Or you can go a more, you know, constraint sled approach, which is the new wave where you're, you're allowing, allowing your players the opportunity to define their own movement pattern or solution. Are you, are you going to create environments where you allow your athletes, you know, some self-exploration, you know, allow them to create their own solution strategies to the, to the drills that we're creating. Um, and I think the more we get into it and the more we'll talk about this more today, I think we'll lean towards the second one where we really want to replicate the game as much as possible, allow our, our players to determine what movement works best for them, given their body type, given their flexibility, mobility, um, their perception of what's happening in front of them in their environment, as opposed to uh, creating drills and practice settings where the coach is telling them everything, what to do, how and when, and there's no learning involved. And anytime you have an environment where there's no learning, how do you expect to, to pass the test on game day when you haven't learned anything? And I think if we can the best practice environment is one that allows our players to explore for themselves, come up with solutions on their own to optimize their performance in a practice setting, which would, the more experiences we can get there, the more it's going to play out on a game day when we really want it. You know, without letting you off the hook too easily, can we, <laughs> can we go with, uh, let's say, where does traditional, where do traditional baseball practices go wrong does that make sense so what what's something that most practices consist of or do every single day or once a week or whatever that we should probably start cutting back on and changing it to something else i think we miss traditionally in baseball and and again this is i'm speaking through the lens of where i'm at now um but it may change at the lower levels but i think where we've missed traditionally in the past and it maybe still currently is the idea this idea of this Perfect practice means it's perfect. This rote learning environment where we're doing rep after rep that doesn't simulate or replicate anything with the game. So we're talking like swings off a tee trying to, to mirror a perfect swing or ground ball off the ground ball right between my feet and it's this per- perfect fielding mechanic or bullpens where every pitch it's scripted like, hey, two fastballs, two, two fastballs away, two fastballs in, two breaking balls, three change ups, whatever it may be and you're done. None of that is game-like. And I think we're, we, we really need to ask the question as, as coaches, you know, like, are, are we trying to, are we trying to develop players that are, are these, are these robots who want to, who, who can execute a perfect mechanic over and over and over again? Or are we trying to develop, develop players 
and facilitate a learning experience to where they can go out and perform in a game on their own and come up with their own solutions when the game's on the line in response to all the different varying things that happen in a game. That's where I think we're missing is I don't think traditionally we've allowed our players to explore that for themselves enough in a practice setting. And you can go across the board, whether it's hitting, defense, pitching, catching, whatever you want to call it. It's been this coach tells player what to do, player does what coach does, go to the game, doesn't happen. Okay, let's go back to the cage and work on these drills again. Go to the game, doesn't play out. And it's like, well, yeah, because all we did was hit off a tee, you front toss flip me and threw 40-mile-an-hour 40, 40 BP. And then I get into the game, and this guy's throwing 80 to 90 with a breaking ball changeup. And moving up, down, in, and out, now I'm getting beat by speed, location, height, and I've not practiced any of that, and <laughs> I'm expected to in a game to perform. Uh, same thing with, with uh, say, infielders where, hey, catch all 10 of these balls and that's a good day. Well, great. They were all two to three hoppers, one or two steps to my left and right, and then I got in a game and I got, I got four, you know, a couple of slow rollers. I got, Balls that made me range to my backhand four or five steps, and I had to make throws off balance, and had to make a one hand and play, and had to make a feed to second base across my body, and I haven't practiced any of that. You know that's not fair. And then we expect our, and we get mad at our players for making errors. It's like, well, we haven't created an environment a that replicated the game in terms of decision making, hop reads, or speed changes, or pitch variation. The stressor of it. Have I practiced in an environment that that created some sort of stressor or consequence? the crowd, another team, all those types of things that we can add to a practice environment that traditionally we haven't because we're trying to have this practice performance be great because that's what makes everyone feel good. You know, coach feels good because the player executed it. Hey, he did what I told him. He did it. It looked good while wow, we're getting better. Player leaves. Oh, I feel great. I just barreled 10 balls up in a row. I feel great. I must be good. Um, and then you get in the game environment, it's completely chaotic and different. And traditionally, that's what happens. Well, that makes sense. And you're coming from a world that is about as traditional as it gets, which is the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, pro baseball. So what are some steps that you've taken, maybe even lately, to help, uh, help fight the, what we've always done for what this may be better in, in the long run for? Yeah, exactly. And that's, we always say you got to explain the why, right? You got to explain why, you know, why, why are we doing this? And until you explain the why to players and coaches, it really doesn't matter what you're trying to do. So step one, we hit it in the face with, okay, understanding these, the, the idea of, you know, skill transfer and setting up environments that replicate the game and these ideas, like say, say from Bernstein and degrees of freedom and just, how 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 are how we're supposed to be interacting with our environment? It's part of what we're doing. How we perceive our environment, the idea of self organization, and how all these things play out. Explain why that's beneficial to practice in that matter, because we're trying to come up with as many motor solutions to problems as we possibly can. And the more we can do that, the more comfortable we are with our bodies and how we how we utilize our movement. So, explaining why it's more beneficial than say. This perfect mechanic is great, but until you're in a game and the, and the conditions are completely different, what are you going to do? Do you have adjustability? How do you respond to different environments? Is, are your skills generalized to different, different situations? 
So explaining why that's more beneficial to practice that way as opposed to this rote rep after rep after rep um, and the benefits of it. And then actually going out there and doing it, that helps. Also, cr- taking the, the handcuffs off players and allowing and creating an environment for failure, having a safe environment to where it's okay to push and fail and push yourself. And us as coaches, allowing that to happen is really the key here. You, you create environments and practice to where it's okay to push and, and to fail. And that's where the learning comes from anyways. Once we can get past that practice performance idea, it really starts to take off. And, and you, the practice performance actually stays the same, is actually good or better. And then the most important thing is that the performance in the game uh, starts to increase. You start seeing our players play more free and their athleticism starts shining through and they're making plays that you can't even teach because they're just used to having to come up with some solution on their own. And that's been really, really, really cool to watch, watch play out. So hope that answers that question there. But that's what we're looking for. How can we represent the representative design to allow our players to feel comfortable failing? Because at the end of the game, end of the day, that, that, that's what most of the problems runs in the game. Like, we don't want to fail. And that tightens our players up. And next thing you know, the performance goes down. Well, if we practice freely, we can go and then go play freely. And that's where we see the, the best version of our athlete come through. No, definitely. And I'm with you there. A couple of weeks ago, we had a, you know, a great conversation about blocked versus random practices. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but blocked would be like your more traditional, you know what's coming. So say, like you were saying earlier, 40 mile an hour BP, the set of fastballs every single time versus random, which is like your mixed BP where you're mixing up pitches, which is what you'll mm-hmm. see more in a game. So mm-hmm. talk to us about, you know, blocked versus random. And, and then I had a question for you regarding whether or not, you know, block versus random with younger people, you know, who are still trying to build skills. And I know I'm throwing a lot of questions at you, but that was okay, something yeah. that, that should we focus more on the fundamental mm-hmm. side or more on the random side or both? Or, or you know, if you could dig into that a little bit for us, that would be awesome. Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, that, that's the art of coaching, right? Like knowing when to push and pull, knowing not only the, you know, the what and why behind what type of practice you're doing, but also knowing that, you know, the when and how are some important questions to ask too. And that, and that changes from team, like I said, team to team, player to player. So in general, so yeah, the more block practice, that's going to be more your cognitive type practice, the rep after rep, real deliberate, highly instructed, learning a new movement. Like, hey, this is new. I need to get the feel for this. I'm thinking about the movements. And yeah, the drills for there would be pretty much the same. You can anticipate what's going to happen to learn a new movement pattern potentially, right? That, that's the idea. These BP thigh high, same speed, off a tee, front flip, ground ball, rolling ground balls to an infielder, whatever it may be, right? That, that, that's more of your block. Here's what we're working on. Here's the one or here's the drill we're doing. Here's what to, you know, expect. That's, that's the gist of it. You get into a more a random or, uh, you know, variability type of practice. And now, yeah, you're mixing speeds um, during BP. You're mixing your timing, slides up, wind up, whatever it may be. Ground balls are all random as best you can. And it's really unpredictable. You're forcing the athlete to make a decision every single rep as opposed to blocks where there may not be any decision making to be made. There's no decision. There's no speed variation. There's no stressor or challenge or consequence, right? Yeah, you, know, you get to the variable 
more random. And now you started adding this decision making component to it. You have to read and react and you actually got to do it. Um, a speed variation, whether it's fastball, curveball, change up, or, or just changing up the, a slides up to a wind up to your BP or, hey, slow rollers, high choppers, you know, two hoppers on the infield. Um, and then some sort of stressor, like some sort of challenge or consequence, some, some game-like environment that makes it, you know, varying. Like your, your other question, like where should, where does that line stop and start given the, the, the level of play, right? Mm-hmm. So right. how can I expect my athlete to go self-organized when he doesn't even know what to self-organize to, right? So this concept of we want optimization, not just organization. So basic concepts of like fielding positions or eliminating movements in a swing or just getting your deliver delivery tightened up a little bit so you can have some sort of you know i can't say repeatable because every every pitch is different but some sort of replication of okay consistency within a pitching delivery say yes there are times especially early developmental stages where that block practice there is value to that Um, we can't negate the fact that there is a value to reps, especially when learning something new. Uh, we can't expect the younger players to just self-organize or self-correct into the optimal thing when they have no idea what they're doing. So that's the push and pull of coaching, knowing when, okay, this player gets the concept, now let's challenge it a little bit. And then he may fail, and he may have to go back to more of a block-type practice. And you kind of play this game between back and forth, right, of block and random, and depending on where they're at. So if you get a feel for their block type practice becoming rote, they start memorizing drills. Okay, let's start challenging them now and see if they can generalize it in a more competitive environment. And then you use that information and your your guide along the way as a coach. And if they continue to fail over and over and over again, that's where that timely cueing and timely feedback comes into play. And then you may need to go more to a block type. This is bounce, right? this is bounce back and forth between the two. And that, to me, that's the art of coaching. But we, I don't think we can negate block practice completely. Uh, there, there's time, place, and value for it. Um, and, and knowing your athlete's capabilities as a coach, that's why it's so important to individualize as much as we possibly can because the whole group of players does not always need the same exact thing. And that's where I think we fall in the trap, too, with baseball. Is all of BP looks completely the same when you have 13 different hitters. You're, it's impossible, right? Or all my ground ball sessions looked exactly the same. Well, all my infielders are different. Well, they don't all need the same thing. And that's, that's, that's the push and pull and the play of, and that, well, like I, I like to call the art of coaching of knowing when and, when and how, uh, to implement the different types of ideas. 